Spider-Man, everyone, to another episode of No Place Like Mahomes. I am Sean Deegan, and unfortunately, this week's episode is not a happy one. We do have to delve into, unfortunately, a loss. Third time is not the charm for the Chiefs, but a lot was learned, and there are a lot of discussion points that we do need to get to, so let's not delay. Let's go ahead and introduce the guys. He's excited to see the Rams make a late playoff push with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Jacob Allen is here. What's going on, dude? I didn't even think about Baker there. Is that where Baker signed? He did. He got claimed by the Rams. They were the only one to put a waiver claim in. Well, then I apologize because I'm like currently 2008's versions of updated on things where I don't know up to the minimum of 15 minutes versions of news. I apologize for all of our fans here, and I'll try to do a better job and update to 2022. Also, what's sad is I had to definitely look down at the date on my computer to confirm that it's 2022. He's here to tell you that the third time is the charm for Sam Darnold to be good. Sam Bleka is here. How's it going, man? Never give up on your dreams, I guess, is all I have to say. <laughs> and I am Sean Deegan, and I am ready for Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant himself to take his first step towards being the next Tom Brady this weekend. So, this game kind of sucked. I don't really know how else to say it. It was a rough game to watch. I uh, had a lot of exciting moments, but really just a lot of frustrating things uh, for the Chiefs and the Bengals. Third time is not the charm for the Chiefs. They lose to the Bengals 27-24. We're going to start off with just a couple of wider topics before we dive into the offense and the defense specifically. First off, what the hell about the Bengals gives the Chiefs so many problems? Because I don't know, I've heard a couple of arguments. I've heard, you know, styles make fights. Bengals are just a bad matchup for the Chiefs. But at a certain point, like, don't you have to kind of say they might just be better than you? For whatever reason, on that day, they are just better than you. So what about them do you guys think is the Chiefs' kryptonite? Sam will let you bat lead off here. It's, it's hard to say because as I texted you guys after the game, not only that one, but I feel like both the games last year, like we went in and I'm, we should just walk all over these guys. Especially after our new, like the roster reconstruction we had this year, I was like, oh, this is, it'll be a high scoring game, but there's no way we can't score against them. But we can't, and it's just we. It almost feels like because roster to roster, I think they obviously have overall better weapons in their three wideouts, likely more than we do. Especially missing, I hate to admit it, but I miss McCole Hardman. <laughs> like, but like with with the three that specific three wideouts they have, they they outdo us wideout wise. But we have the better quarterback. I don't think anyone is going to say that Joe Burrow. Well. I've heard people say it, and it's just asinine. But I don't think Joe, though Joe Burrow, I think, is a good quarterback. He's not Patrick Mahomes. And I, I hate to say it, but it's almost – I think we might be getting out coached in these games. Some aspect of it, whether it be – because you watch Spags specifically on defense. It's not like he's – he's not stagnant with what he does, but nothing he does seems to work. And – I just and and then obviously offense. It just doesn't seem like Andy has it dialed up the way it needs to be. As we'll talk about, our offensive line did nothing to help Andy Reid's offensive play calling this game. But I, I honestly am almost leaning to when we play the Bengals, we we almost look like we get out coached in some aspect. 
and it it tends to lean towards defense because they're wide receivers and and for whatever reason just are able to do kind of whatever they want it seems like and i don't necessarily think it comes down to personnel this year as as much as it did last year Jay, what about you? What, what do you think the Bengals do or have that the Chiefs don't at this point? Elite wide receivers. <laughs> That's definitely part of it. Um, tackles that don't move worse than I do. Pass rushers that can be effective no matter the scheme. Th- those are the things they have. But what I guess what I'm trying to summarize and say is you can have the better individual players, a couple better individual players. Chiefs always have the better quarterback. There's no debate in this. Despite what you see when you doom scroll Twitter and Joe Burrow is Patrick Mahomes' daddy, it's just as ridiculous when Chiefs fans are like, Patrick Mahomes is Lamar Jackson's daddy. I, I don't think Patrick Mahomes – sorry, I don't think Joe Burrow forced a fumble on Travis Kelsey. I also don't think I don't think that Patrick Mahomes caught the interception that was called back against the Chiefs. So it's goofy there. So again, don't let Twitter get you all worked up about the who's better quarterback when they go head to head. They don't go head to head. So let's start there. Get off your emotional soapbox with this this whole thing. Just let their individual achievements play out their careers. Uh, but they the other team can be the better team, and that's what I think the Bengals are at this point, whether it's because of, like Sam said, some better coaching down the stretch or whether it's just they're a more complete team. I think both arguments could be easily made. I'll listen to people saying, like, oh, it's just a bad matchup. I know Matt Verderam of Arrowhead Addicts, uh, he, he's still – Makes the argument he still thinks the Chiefs are the better team, but that the Bengals are just an awful matchup for him. I think that's fair. I am not going to sit here and I, I, I can't say that anymore. I just can't. I think the Bengals are the better team. I think if you went position by position, I think we might be surprised how many spots we'd give to the Bengals outside of quarterback. Uh, Sam, I agree with you. I think coaching aspects have to change if you're the Chiefs. Uh, we'll talk about a couple of those uh, here as we go. I know everyone's clamoring about fourth down and Chiefs. I know I was. I think I had three different tweets about the Chiefs playing zone the entire the, during the game. It's it's also very clear to me that Sam, you you have pointed out. I think you're the first person to talk about it, and and it's played out. I think a lot in his career, but the Patrick Mahomes effect. It's it's they're not. It's not that people are afraid of Mahomes. It's Mahomes usually gets people to come out of their comfort zone and say, we have to play catch up. We have to keep pace. We have to do this and that. And I don't think the Bengals are do that at all. I don't think they're afraid of anything. I think Joe, Joe Burrow might be the most confident human being I've ever seen. Just how he moves, how he talks, how he, it's not arrogant. I mean, I'm sure there's a level of swag to him on the field, just as much as him when he gets to the stadium and he's, you know, dressed to the nines and things that I would never try on. But he's always had that. He's always just had this supreme confidence. It's like, I'm going to beat you one way or the other. I don't even really care that you're Patrick Mahomes. 
And I think that kind of spreads throughout the team. I think when your top guy is not afraid of anyone, nobody else has to be either. And that, I think, allows for a greater belief in a coach's game plan where you don't feel like you have to do too much and Samaj P. Ryan can just run over you like he's like Damian Tomlinson and you can feel like you're good with that game plan. I feel like it means you don't have to worry about, you know, T. Higgins getting seven, eight, nine, ten targets. He'll beat you on four, and he'll just be ready when the situation comes. He doesn't panic. He doesn't get upset. He's not being targeted because he's going to make a play at some point. That kind of consistent thing. And then, like, the coaches at the end, they give Burrow the chance to throw uh, on third down. You probably should have run it to burn clock or make the Chiefs at least use a timeout. He's like, no, I trust my guy. I I think that is a huge aspect of why they are better than – why they have beaten the Chiefs so many times is the Chiefs are not able – to get the Bengals to change who they are because they're not afraid of the Chiefs at all. Because this game is going to elicit a lot of us saying, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong, I didn't want to take a minute at the top and, and give the opportunity, at least, to talk about the positives from this game. Was there anyone that you guys felt played well in this game? Anybody stand out to you as having good performances or taking a step forward in their development? or a a coaching decision uh, that didn't make you want to pull your hair out. Uh, Jacob, will let you go first. Who do you think played well in this game, if anyone? Your first candidate always has to be Patrick Mahomes. I still think he had a good game. I know there's people that are like, he missed McKinnon on the left, and there was other open guys. Well, you know who also missed on that play that had an awful performance? Don't even have to say his name. You've listened to enough Chiefs podcasts and radio shows by now that you already know who I'm talking about on that play. I didn't think the corners were particularly bad for who they had to cover. So, like, pass defense by the entire second year, I didn't think was atrocious. It was the tackling that just made the overall performance of the secondary, you know, more to be desired. When they were running the ball up the middle, it looked nice too. So I don't think necessarily that up the middle they're all that bad either. And, you know, all things considered with Joe Tooney out again. So I don't think you can 100% come out and say everybody was just absolute garbage because there were a few highlights. They were still lost by a field goal. But you could also put blame every single spot too, which that's football. Sam, what about you? Did anybody play well in this game, in your opinion, uh, that you want to make sure we get pointed out? I think the leading candidate for me was running game in general. Um, I think Isaiah Pacheco is – you're continually seeing development. Like, they're, they're still – he's still very raw. Um, he's got all the, the tangibles, but when you watch – I can't remember exactly when it was, but there was one play in particular where he had a hole – that you could have driven a truck through like right off to the left of him. And he didn't see it until it was too late. Uh, so you can definitely tell he's still, still learning, but you see all the bright spots of what we, I think what we need out of a running back, which is just a guy that can get you yards. Like with our offense, would it be nice to have an elite running back? Yeah, but we don't use them that frequently. So it's not, a necessity. So I think what we're getting out of Pacheco and McKinnon specifically, you're, you're seeing 
the fruits of the attempt at running. And the offensive line, though their inevitable just downfall in the pass rush, their run blocking was pretty good throughout most of the game. We just couldn't sustain it because you can't keep up. It's like what we have to play the Bengals like most teams play us. And it's infuriating. And I can imagine other teams hate it every time they have to play the Chiefs where it's like we can't get into our rhythm because we're keeping up with them, it seems like, a lot of times. So, I mean, I guess we're the shoes on the other foot when we play the Bengals, as we discussed. Other than that, corners were good. I don't think they had the support from the, the other secondary, the safeties, to really play as well as they – or it probably didn't show as well as they played just because they didn't have that secondary support. And then P. Ryan could just do anything he wanted. He's the second coming of Adrian Peterson, apparently, so – kind of halters your your ability to just be locked down corners when you have to worry about a running back breaking free and your linebackers not being able to tackle him. So I'll echo you guys. The running backs I thought were great. That was one of the best overall performances by the run game just in general. Offensive line and running backs all in there. Mahomes is the obvious candidate, although I still would have liked and would like to see what he could have done with more time. Cover eight still seems to to takeaway options and I don't know if that's a him thing or a coaching thing the other two I'll say McDuffie and Joshua Williams I thought played really well I thought McDuffie especially played really well and I thought Josh Williams played well considering who he had to cover half the time even the last play of the game where that iced it for the Bengals you can see Josh Williams arm come across and the ball just goes right over his forearm so he was in terrific position that just a absolute perfect throw and catch between Burrow and Higgins. So I, I would say those two corners specifically, I thought played a terrific game and McDuffie, especially against Jamar chase, whenever they lined up, Jamar didn't really have a ton of success. So I, I would say those two as well should get some recognition for, for how they played. So we are coming up here on the end of the season, which is, Freaking crazy to say. Gone by so fast. And the playoffs are coming up. Playoff seeding is starting to become a real thing. The Chiefs with this loss fall out of the number one seed. The Bills now again have the number one seed. Uh, We'll talk more about Chiefs being uh, where they stand as far as the AFC West goes later in the podcast. But just quick insight, if they win this weekend and the Chargers lose, they can lock up the AFC West. How all of these things are great. Outside of losing the one seed, and this, and we've talked about a couple weeks ago about, you know, the schedules are, are very favorable to the Chiefs and not as favorable to the Bills, so there's a chance that that can still come back your way. All of that being said, there's a, a strong chance you're going to have to see the Bengals again because they're for real. What is your confidence level that the Chiefs can finally beat them if you do have to face the Bengals one more time, whether it's on the road or at home, because the Bengals have shown that doesn't really matter. They'll beat you in either spot. What, how confident are you that the Chiefs can actually get it done if they do have to face the Bengals one more time? Jacob, we'll start with you. 10 out of 10. I have no doubt they can beat them. We've talked about luck being part of a championship run. Part of that luck is health. You hope that the Chiefs get some health back. You guys already mentioned, you know, like what started hurting for the cover eight. I think you guys both mentioned guys that were really helping 
destroy that narrative as far as McCall Hardman, you know, around an edge and, and as part of the running game and destroying some of that cover eight look. And also Juju Smith-Schuster got hurt in the game. And it was very clear when he did not – when he had his brain re-scrambled and was not a factor anymore. And also not a guy I'm going to rely on. And we even said it when they traded for him that I don't think you can necessarily rely on Tony, but, man, it'd be nice to have him back out there to have somebody to go punch for punch with Jamar Chase because those guys are just game changers is what we saw as far as their speed and ability to move. So I have no doubt they can beat him, and I'm with the rest of Chiefs fans. I am just so frustrated about the Bengals because we all feel about the same where it's like every time they've had a lead, Something about the Bengals feels fraudish. I think you have part two where it's, like you said, you're always looking to find what's the next best thing. And Bengals fans will get to live that at some point too. Well, we hope not, but Bengals fans may get to live that at some point of they're going to move on from you and then not care and Joe Burrow will just be old news. We will see. But like I said, I am 10 out of 10. They can beat the team, especially if they play them at home. Sam, what about you? What's your confidence level that the Chiefs can take down the Bengals if they have to face them in the playoffs? I'm pretty much right there with Jacob. I 100% believe, as as I feel every time we go into it, I feel like we should walk over them. And it may be a false sense of security, and I may not feel exactly the same way if we run into them again. But if we can get healthy, you have all the weapons necessary. You have a rebuilt defense, a retooled defense that is just generally faster it just need they just need to figure something out different to play the Bengals differently. This isn't going to be one of those where it's we never beat the Bengals. Like they're not going to beat us every single time. I think if you play these three games ten times, it's probably a 50-50 game. And like it's it's weird to say because we've lost three of them, but I don't think like outside of maybe the first one where Jamar Chase just decided to say, hey. I'm going to do whatever I want today. Like, I can't think, I can't, you can't say that any of them were like, oh, they just beat the snot out of us. Fully confident we can beat them. It's just, can the coaching make the correct adjustments, I guess. I'm going to preface this, my thoughts by saying, when I hear people like go into prediction mode on like who's going to win what league. So, for instance, for me, I grew up as a Kansas fan. So, if People are going to pick somebody other than Kansas basketball or somebody who's going to pick somebody to, other than the Chiefs to win the AFC West since Andy Reid's been here. Just that kind of thing. I always kind of bristled at that. and like, you haven't even shown you can beat them. Like, no one's shown you can take them down. So, so why would I pick anybody else? And that's kind of how I feel about this matchup right now. I'm not super confident that the Chiefs – can beat the Bengals right now because they haven't done it yet. They have arguably the best quarterback coach combo in the NFL. They have all these young, like supposedly physical and aggressive pieces. We'll get into that here in just a minute. On defense, they they retooled the offensive line last year, so it was supposed to be good. It, it hasn't worked for whatever reason. We gave a couple of those, those ideas just a moment ago, but for whatever reason, it's not working. So I'm not super confident that this is something that can 
that they can beat the Bengals if it comes to it again. I almost worry that they might tighten up more in the playoffs because they haven't beaten them anywhere. So for me, I'd probably put it like, I think I wrote zero over here, but I don't think that's probably too extreme. I'm probably like three to five out of 10, somewhere in there, just depending on what day you catch me on. I think it's possible, but I'm not going to pick it until the Chiefs show me they can do it. Let's get into some specifics. Let's start with the offense. Uh, not the best showing for the offense. Put up 24 points against the Bengals defense. Jacob, you alluded to the, the fumble by Travis Kelsey, also the offensive line. And pass pro was not great, uh, again, with the absence of Joe Tooney, who practiced all week and then, you know, find out on game day that he's made inactive because uh, they don't think he's ready to go. So not sure what happened there. Uh, hopefully it's not a re-aggravation that he's okay. But not a great showing in, in, in any kind of consistent fashion. There were certainly great moments, but some, some key things that hurt. The first of which might have actually just been a coaching decision, not to go back to what you said at the very top, Sam, but the big thing that everyone's talking about is fourth down. When the Chiefs have the ball with four minutes and ten seconds to go, they try to throw the ball on third and three. There's a four-yard sack uh, by Joseph Osai on Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs, instead of going for it on fourth and seven from the Cincinnati 37-yard line, they elect to try and tie the game with a 55-yard field goal from Harrison Butker, and he misses. Would you guys have gone for it on fourth down as opposed to attempting a 55-yard field goal? Um, Sam, will let you go ahead and, and take this one first. How would you have approached that? Because I have some strong feelings on this one. Would you have gone for it on fourth down? This is a difficult one because hindsight is always 20-20. It's so easy for everyone to come back because we didn't hit the field goal and end up losing the game that, oh, why did you not go for fourth down? Why did you not go fourth down? Whereas if Bucker hits that and we go on to win, no one even questions that decision. So it, it is a it's a very tricky question. The only reason I, I lean towards we should have gone for it is purely the explosiveness of the Bengals offense. Like, even if we had tied it, it's not guaranteed you're walking out with a win because they can, I mean, just like us, they can go and score in a slightly different fashion. Like, I don't think they rely as much on their quarterback as just you have Jamar Chase. You have these guys that can break a game open in a second. So I'm not, I don't think I'm probably coming down on it as harshly as you might, Sean. As the way that you're talking, talking because again, a flip of a coin, and that's that we don't even mention this decision. But I will lean towards they maybe should have gone for it purely because of what who the Bengals are. Jay, what about you? Fourth and seven, certainly not a gimme on fourth down, but would you have gone for it uh, on fourth down to try and continue towards a touchdown rather than trying to settle for the long field goal? You're talking to somebody who has uh, not much confidence in Butker. So that is influencing my decision, I think, more than anything else. I think you guys are right. you got to look at the situation, too. Like, You're probably going to be in a shootout, shootout regardless. You know, Now my vision's 20-20 towards that 
that obviously you go for it. But I do think in the moment I was like, this is one of those ones I think I'm going for it because either way you're relying on your defense to get you the ball back. If you kick the field goal for the tie, you're like, hey, our defense is going to get the ball back. If you miss the field goal, you're like, hey, our defense is going to – sorry, if you miss the fourth down – you're going to rely on your defense to get the ball back for you. So either way, to me, I'm like, your two outcomes are the same, different field position. But one of the choices, you still get to rely on Patrick Mahomes over Butker. I'm not even looking at, I guess, in the point sense, but just the which player do I trust more sense, even if the odds are way lower on Mahomes than they are the Butker field goal. So I said I have some strong feelings, and I do, but maybe not in the sense that you you might think I'm going. I think if you approach this like you're going to go for it on fourth down, on third down, you could have run the damn ball, which they were absolutely working the Bengals over with to that point in the game. If you run the ball on third down instead of trying to throw the ball, because it seems like on third down, if you're going to throw it, you're saying, I'm not, we're not going to go for it on fourth. We're going to put the ball in the hands of our best weapon, which is Patrick Mahomes, never a bad thing. And we're going to try and, and get this first down and keep moving. Versus, you know, we know this is working. We know we have Mahomes in our back pocket. Let's try and, and chew up a, this first down here and keep the clock moving. Keep the Bengals offense on the sideline where it belongs. And, and keep moving towards getting a win instead of having a tie. Now, the reason I would also have gone for it on fourth down is what really changes if you don't get it? The scenario doesn't really change that much. You still need a stop, and you still need a field goal. So for me, I didn't, in the moment, and Sam, you're, you are right, and it's prudent to point out, it's very easy to retroactively go, oh, you got to kick it. Or, or say, oh, you should have gone for it on fourth down for a lot of people who will say in the moment, oh, you got to kick it. I hated kicking it from the get-go because I don't think your scenario changed at all. You still needed a stop and you still needed a field goal at least to tie. And to your point, that Bengals offense is just crazy. It's devastating. They have all of the weapons and they have the quarterback to make it work. So I, I would have absolutely done something different on third down and then i absolutely would have gone for it on fourth down even if even if it is fourth and seven i'm still going for it because i don't think it changes what you need to happen in order to win that game so i mentioned uh, at the top of our offensive discussion joe tooney not in this game uh hurt still not able to come back hopefully he will be ready to go this week but it was very clear very quickly that they missed Joe Tooney. How big of a difference do you think having Joe Tooney would have made, or how big of a difference do you think getting him back makes for this Chiefs offense? There's a lot of discussion around, obviously, you know, paying a guard semi-tackle money, which is, is fair. It's, it's a lot of money to give to an interior player. Even I, who was banging the table for Joe Tooney, as, as an option for the Chiefs when before they signed him, we saw that contract and went, whoa, that's a lot of that's a lot of money. But having seen what happened this last couple of weeks, and specifically against the Bengals, how big of a difference does it make to get him back? Um, Jacob, we'll let you go first this time. 
as much as a difference as a guard can make in the NFL, which I don't think is actually that much. I've not really been thrilled lately with how much does a guard move the needle. Joe Tooney is great. It's great to have somebody you can lie on and be like, hey, you're not going to get pressure from that inside spot hardly ever. Would it help Orlando Brown? I like to sit here and tell you, yeah, it would be great and it would help him out a ton, but I can't guarantee you anything with Orlando Brown. Uh, so that's how I feel. Is Right now I'm in Chiefs Lost Week and I'm being a real Twitter fan about this one and saying, I don't think it'd help at all because fire Brett Veach and Brett Veach has never done anything right. So I, I'm in that mindset, but not the truly the fire Brett Veach mindset, but just the we know that's how people get during weeks that are losses. So I'm being that much of a Debbie Downer about this question, at least. Sam, how about you? How big of a difference does getting Joe Tooney back make for this offense? It's a very big Band-Aid on an even bigger bullet wound. Because as good as Joe Tooney is, when you have two le- or two tackles that are just leaking sieves, it doesn't matter at all. We've wavered so much on Orlando Brown specifically. Like, oh, he's played all right this game. We're in a bad relationship and we're trying to make it work. Like, this is a one of those that you're just, like, trying to justify that the guy that uh, they cheated on you and you're, you're like, oh, he's, he's a good guy, though. He'll only do it once. Like, he's a good dad, though, Sam. He's a good yeah. dad. Like, Orlando he's a good Brown. Father. Just a bad husband. Like the number of times I saw him, not not even it wasn't even like, oh, I kicked back and just got beat. It was I'm falling backwards and my arms are just straight out. I didn't even try to punch the guy. I just f just kind of escorted him to Patrick Mahomes. Like it's embarrassing as a guy that's expected wanting to be paid as the top tackle in the league. It's ridiculous. So I I'm hands washed of him. I'm done with like. I will not participate in any more Orlando Brown conversations until it's the he's gone or we paid him as the 30th best tackle in the league and he gets to play right tackle. It's it's just bad. So, yes, I, I think Joe Tooney does a lot. The other aspect you have to think about that, they're only rushing three guys. <laughs> what what matters if, if they're only rushing three guys and you're getting beat on both sides of the others on the outside of your offensive line? You know, I heard that a couple of times today, and and you said it out loud. I don't know why when you said it, it hurt more, but it definitely hurt more. I I do think Joe Tooney makes a big difference, at least in terms of Patrick Holmes being able to step up in the pocket. There were a, a handful of times where, you know, Allegretti's a really nice backup piece to have, but one of those guys you leave him out there too long, he gets exposed, and it happened a couple of times where Patrick Mahomes had to bail out because – both the tackles are getting beat, and there's nowhere for Patrick Mahomes to step up. So it's just run, get out, run. So I do think in that aspect it helps a lot. I do think it helps, to your point, Sam, about helping Orlando Brown Jr. You can shade protections that way. Uh, maybe you know pass off players to Creed Humphrey because you know he can handle it one-on-one and be there to help, at least on the inside, to Orlando Brown Jr. Because that's one thing. Until this game, I hadn't really seen a whole lot of is Orlando Brown Jr. just get smoked to the inside. That was supposed to kind of be the thing he was good at, is just usher everybody around the edge. And if you're fast enough, you could probably beat him to the edge. But 
getting beat to the inside like he did a couple times, oof, it was it was just bad. So I do think having Tooney back would help that in a major, major way and give a lot bigger and a better comfort level to both Humphrey and Orlando Brown Jr. on the line to say nothing of how much more comfortable Patrick Mahomes will be in the pocket. Last thing on the offense, then, we'll have our defensive discussion that will kind of kind of end in a, a future talk that will include the tackles, so we'll, we'll be revisiting them at least a little bit here coming up later. Last topic, though, and I heard I this... I to start that conversation. Oh, yes. Because I, yeah. I had to save something there just so I didn't spoil that part, but... You're good. We'll, come, we'll bat you lead off there. For this last part on the offense, though, I had heard this discussion on Saran Petro, Jeff Chidea, and uh, Eric Eager's uh, Red, Golden Bold podcast, where, and this was a couple weeks ago, so major credit uh, for this topic coming up, and I think it was Chidea, it was either Chidea or Eager who brought it up, I apologize for forgetting who, but they brought up the idea that oh, maybe too much is expected of Patrick Mahomes to bail out the Chiefs, and that there's this kind of hubris to the Chiefs that, you know, the tackles aren't are having a bad day or they're just not good. Well, Patrick will figure it out. You know, the defense isn't able to get a stop here. That's yeah, fine. We got we got Patrick. And there seems to be a lot of expectation put on him. And rightfully so. He's a half-a-billion-dollar quarterback who has shown that he can be the best in the league. And it is on his way to a historic career. Statistically speaking, there isn't anybody who's had a start to their career the way that Patrick Mahomes has. However, have we reached the breaking point? Have the Chiefs started to rely on Patrick Mahomes too much? Do they need to take a step back and try to take a more rounded view and an approach with this team, both offensively and defensively, to try to take some of that pressure off of him? Um, Jacob, we'll let you start this one off. It's a catch-22, and it's going to be a question the entire Mahomes career of how much do you rely on him and how much do you say, hey, Pat, make sure you let your guys make some plays here and there. It doesn't have to all be you because you can take the Sean scenario and say, here's always the debate. It's like if you hand off on that third and three and you don't get it, and then you go for on fourth down, you're going to probably run the ball again, right, if it's fourth and short, and you don't get it, all of a sudden you're saying, why didn't you let Patrick Mahomes have the ball in his hands? It's going to always be a thing, but I think, yes, I think there is a little bit of a breaking point of what has made Tom Brady so great, and when he was with Bill Belichick, it was take what's there even if that means throwing to a running back out in the flat who needs to make a play, throwing to a wide receiver on a quick slant and letting him make a play to make the three more yards to get the first down, even if you threw it one yard behind the stick. So I do think that is a thing, and I think that was one of the things Mahomes was starting to realize this year, and I think will still realize this year. I don't want to get too down on him at all. Um just double checking real quick on one quick thing, which is I also want to give you just a little bit of hope. If you're a chiefs fan, we talked about the chiefs remaining schedule last week. And I know I'm going off topic here of 
Cakewalk is not a term I should use because in, in the NFL, you can lose any Sunday. Just rewind and look at the Colts. But the remainder of the Chiefs' schedule is very easy in comparison to their number one competition, which is the Bills. Let me read you the Bills because prior to the season, it didn't look like it would probably be too daunting. Well, I mean, it would still be daunting, but not insanely daunting. The Bills have the Jets left, who we know are legit. That is a legit defense now. And they do just enough on offense to make games ugly, kind of a la Titans-ish type football. They have the Dolphins. They have the Bears, which who knows? Justin Fields has shown to be a very dynamic playmaker that can upset a team. They also have the Bengals still. So that's going to be a battle for the one, two, or three seed in that game. And then they have the Patriots again, which I don't think they're going to have trouble with. I think it's a matchup they're fine with. But anyway, I just want to take a moment to also encourage fans and say, I know we put a lot on Patrick Mahomes, but also let the schedule play out as well. And I know that's very off topic, but needed to get it in at some point. Sam, how about you? Do you think the Chiefs have started to rely on Mahomes too much to clean up other parts of their game that maybe aren't as tight as they need to be? No, because that's what the NFL is today. You rely on your superstar quarterback if you've got them. Like, you expect them to make the plays. And I think we pose this question because we have very, we have been very, again, we are very spoiled to have Patrick Mahomes. And it's been very rare for us to not see him be able to step up and make, do that. Put on the infinity gauntlet and just say, I'm going to do it myself. Like when he, when he's had to do that 90% of the time, he's been able to do it pretty effectively. So I think for us as, as Chiefs fans, as, as narrow-minded new generation Chiefs fans, we look at it as, Oh, he, what's happening. We, Obviously, something's gone wrong. Pat ran into a defense he couldn't do it by himself against. And we didn't get enough support from the other players. Because that that's the one big thing is I don't think – that's one thing I love about Patrick Mahomes is you don't see him – he'll have up and down games or down games on occasion. But for the most part, you don't see him waver. His play is pretty consistent. Unlike – like you see, as we'll talk about with the defense – they just disappear sometimes. Pat doesn't disappear. Like Pat has bad games where he's throwing bad picks or something like that. But you know you're always going to get the same level of competitiveness and and he wants to go out and win a game. And you can't say that. Surprisingly, we're talking about the NFL where this is these guys' jobs. You can't say that about everybody, that that's what you're going to get every single week. So I, I don't think it's as much – it is a product of the NFL today that that's what it is, is you rely on these superstar quarterbacks to do what you pay them millions and millions of dollars to do. And sometimes they don't get the support they need that to, to overcome the obstacles when your hall of fame, potentially one of the greatest tight ends of all time, if not the best tight end of all time fumbles a ball when you're driving down the field, it's not something we typically expect. Like, so, so I, I don't think, we rely too much on him, especially this year when we've already seen not a not a obviously a commitment to oh we're a running team now, but we're running the ball pretty well. Like Andy's putting an effort into it, and it seems to be working to an extent to 
that they feel comfortable utilizing it. So I don't think – I think this year is almost even less so them relying on Pat than in previous years where it was, all right, you've got Cheetah, go throw it deep and let's see what we can do. Because that would have been the one where I'm like, we're putting too much on Pat when he's got one guy to throw to. <laughs> and that's the only option. Well, let me counteract that real fast and say, what did Joe – not that Joe Burr is in the same echelon as Mahomes, but what did he do to be effective in this game? He was didn't it, mess up. He didn't mess up in the sense that he's like, I'm going to throw it to Samaje P. Ryan and let him break five tackles. I'm going to throw it to Jamar Chase and let him break three or four tackles. Yeah. And it wasn't like he was, had to make some spectacular play. He just – relied on his playmaker and would you say that the Bengals he's, got playmakers on, he's got more playmakers but it doesn't mean that <laughs> it makes his, it makes his life a whole lot easier than that he doesn't have to do as much right right that's what i'm saying too is like it's not the nfl completely of i'm just arguing against your point about the nfl now is just relying on your superstar quarterback to go make the plays let's i want to have this conversation with a bengal's fan in, uh, let's say, uh, three years when they have to pay Joe Burrow. And Jamar Chase. And and Jamar Chase. And see how much fun it is when you have to piece together an offense after you pay a $100 million quarterback. And uh, a a minimum of a $30 million a year wide receiver. Oh, he'll be the most expensive wide receiver in the NFL. Right. That's what I'm saying is, like, there's – like, you can't even argue with me that – Martez will be getting less than $30 million. There is no like, chance of that. It just depends on when Justin Jefferson gets his deal. Right. Well, Jefferson came out the year before. Yeah, so, so he'll be beating Jefferson's deal. And then yeah, do, you so, think, do you think T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd are going to be like, I'll take a little less money to keep playing with these guys. So I guess what I'm telling any random Bengals fan that comes across this podcast and wants to listen, enjoy it. Yes. Because it doesn't last forever. Yeah. <laughs> If you're you a Bengals fan, you should be thrilled. Like, I mean, seriously, like you tip of the cat, man. Like your team's kicked our team's ass three times. And you have you have all the pieces to make another championship run. So yeah, enjoy the hell out of it. Cause it does get weirder and harder. You have to make some hard choices, like sending off maybe the first two thousand yard receiver in more than a decade or more than two decades uh to the Miami Dolphins. So yeah, enjoy the hell out of it. So I was going to say, I think they rely on Mahomes in, in ways they shouldn't have to. I, again, going for it on third and three with a pass instead of a run, that's a moment I think you can take a little pressure off of him. Run the ball. You've been doing it great all game. Keep the clock running. Instead, you take a four-yard sack. But then in that moment, that's a moment on fourth and seven that I would like to see that rely on him and they didn't they went ahead and kicked the field goal so i think i'm on i'm kind of split down the middle where there are times where i'm like good lord can you not like be they're minus four in the turnover differential this year so can you like play cleaner football don't give the ball away on you know on a punt return on your own five yard line to the colts can you not need him to go out and and have another miraculous run against the the Bills in order to to shut that game down. You know, can if if Travis Kelsey doesn't have a once in a blue moon fumble, does Mahomes have to come back and 
try to win that game late, or do you just get to ice it and play keep away the rest of the game? Those are the moments where I'm like, maybe we can take some pressure off of him by doing some things differently, either with the coaching or just other players making mistakes. And then there are moments where I'm like, it's fourth and seven. You're on your opponent's 37. Maybe rely on your $500 million quarterback. So I think I think it's a yes and a no for me, where it's there are moments where I'm like, yeah, let's take some pressure off him here because you might need him later. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the football. And this is the one that really pissed me off. It was this side of the football. Sean, Sean, take your medication. You can't let that blood start boiling too much. Oh, my God, dude. Here's the thing. We made it through the Tyron Matthew era. I love Tyron. He's a great player. But at the end, man, he was on Twitter the whole time. It was just exhausting. If you're going to talk smack, you better bring it. Like You better bring it. And then if you don't bring it, you better own it. And don't double down on it on Twitter. It was a really disappointing effort. And I think that's because losing to the Bengals is nothing to be ashamed about. They are a really good team. They are a terrific team with a lot of elite weapons. But how you played on defense to assist in losing to that team is, I think, what bothers me the most. So I guess I've gone first on this particular topic, so I'll turn it over to you guys. Now Sam will let you, you take the reins here. What was most disappointing for you about this defense's performance? Firstly, was when Tyron left and he learned that Justin Reed was coming in, was it like Rafiki and the Lion King where he goes, it's time. <laughs> and like anoints Justin Reed as the new here. Learn how to use Twitter and anger all of the Chiefs kingdom. <laughs> like, it is time. <laughs> the music starts playing in the background and they're just like, oh God. <laughs> like what I don't understand. Like, is it just an aspect of playing safety for the Chiefs that you have to make stupid Twitter comments? And then continue it. <laughs> you lost. Eat the crow. Afterwards, just just eat it and and go out and play football the next week. But I think honestly, what may have been most frustrating because because I think the thing is, did we really expect that much out of our safeties? Like it's not like they've played at an all pro level this year. Like they've been good. Like, I'm not saying either of them have been terrible in any sense, but. I think we've Sam, seen that. the word. The word you're looking for is average, and it's average. okay to yeah. be average. Yeah, it's, it's you're you're fine. Don't call out one of the best young wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, but the ones that kind of upset me, honestly, were were a linebacking core. I, I think it was probably the most frustrating part of seeing Samaj P. Ryan, who I think if he were on our team, we'd be saying the exact same thing we say about Andrew Wiley that he's a really good backup he's he's good to come in and spell for a while but he's not a starter like I said he, he looked like the second coming of Adrian Peterson in that game like he did whatever the hell he wanted to and it was stupid and we have two very high drafted linebackers well in retrospect to what kind of picks we have highly drafted linebackers for us that are both incredibly athletic, that have a lot of tackles, but just kind of disappeared. That's kind of disappointing. Sam, I can uh, actually confirm they did not disappear. 
they were there. The ball was just going over their head every time as they were lost in coverage, both of them. Have you ever seen Nick Bolton look more flat-footed? Like, he's they, never looked that way. He's I never am one of, that. I'm one of the biggest Nick Bolton, like, fans. Absolute dog you-know-what in that game. That was – I've seen a lot of bad games from linebackers. I've seen a, a lot of good games from Nick Bolton. That was one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a linebacker, which is disappointing because we know that Nick Bolton had made a lot of strides this year. It was like, hey, he can at least get in the way, tip pass here and there. He's not great in coverage. We know this. These are not surprises. But absolutely rookie lost out there in his zones. And then the safety sucked too. Oh, Didn't tackle anything. It was like they weren't passing it off to each other. It doesn't surprise me that after a week where Justin Reed came out and was playing me attitude, that the defense played me attitude of, oh, whoops, that was, you're right. That was, I guess that's my zone now. They just did not flow well together. Oh, and they were so soft. That was the, the hardest part to watch was just throw an arm and hope that the guy goes down. It's like, Samaj P. Ryan, number one, isn't fast at all. So he can't be the second coming of Adrian Peterson. He's as big as Adrian Peterson, but he's as fast as I am to the buffet line. Pretty fast. What kind of buffet are we talking about, Jacob? That's, that's you could be breaking speed. some 40 times. We're talking, a, we're talking about Deegan family at Sarine Stockade on a Sunday evening when – so I'm you're breaking you, you're breaking I'm NFL you, records because you ain't oh, getting I'm, food if that's if you're I'm not shattering bad. Bo Jackson's mythical four point one nine forty. I am shattering that record. <laughs> I don't care how many hamstrings I blow getting there. That buffet line, I'm first up. <laughs> Only champ. thing that makes it faster is when Miss Janie Deegan calls that the pizza rolls are ready and we have to race upstairs. Oh, <laughs> you might as well float over those <laughs> stairs, man. There's 12 kids in the house, and there's 25 pizza rolls ready, set, go. <laughs> Liam never stood a chance. Sorry, Only Liam. the strong survived. <laughs> Liam, don't hurt us. We we all know you're more fit than us now, so please don't hurt us now. We're just joking. We forgive. Please forgive us for bullying you when you were younger. Uh, but, yeah, the defense, oh, my, just flat out dog crap it was just like this is the most uninspired i've seen a team ever play and on the other side the Bengals are like we're gonna beat that for what justin reed said about i don't know who's on that team doesn't matter we're gonna shut them down so yeah those are my comments on it yeah i think you both said it well i don't think there's a whole lot else to say just that a combination of trash talk and knowing how many how biggest strides They'd taken on defense to this point to see that kind of effort and watch guys like Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton. You know, Sam, I don't think you have to back off of highly drafted linebackers. Linebackers aren't typically thought of as preferential on day one or two in, in most cases by a lot of you know analysts and whatnot. So to watch that and then watch your highly drafted and $30 million contract safety just lay an absolute egg and also just anybody, whoever was sitting next to Chris Jones, that person was terrible. I don't care who they were, whether it was Nani or Stallworth or whoever, if you were standing next to Chris Jones, who had two to three offensive linemen on him at all times, and you couldn't beat a one-on-one, not even a run, you're blown five yards off the ball every time. 
is oh god they gotta find something because that was brutal hey settle down stallworth got there once <laughs> he, he just fell on the quarterback a little too hard just, oh just, my god he tackled him a little too good he, he, <laughs> he played football too well god <laughs> that's a whole other discussion just yeah i don't want to get into that one because that that will piss me off because okay, that one, I'll, that I'll, one that's on the like flip side when justin watson took the hit i oh that big hit he took i was like do not throw a flag for hitting too hard. I was like, that was just a great tackle on him. Yep. It's like great kudos tackle. on Justin Watson for holding on to that ball. But I was even – you have that little feeling in your stomach where you're like, here it comes. Guy did a great shot. They ate it because uh, that would have annoyed me on the flip side. Like, are you kidding me? I don't even want this penalty for that one. Not a team-specific thing, just a league thing. We'll probably talk sometime this offseason about. Moving All female reps only. Better decision making. Is there more than one now? Because I feel like I've seen there there are a handful now. Yeah, I was gonna say I've seen a couple line judges where I was like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Again, this is you know how I said earlier it was two thousand eight me as far as keeping up on news. This is like two thousand two keeping up on news. I have to wait for the newspaper to be delivered. I was like, oh yeah, there's a female referee now, and then I you know stopped tracking the stories because again it shouldn't be a story. So let's let's start. That's why you know why female refs would be great. Because when a quarterback takes that kind of hit and complains, they can just look at him and say, you think that hurt? Try childbirth. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> I would kill for somebody to say Tom Brady. Yes. Are you kidding me? Let's yes. go, son. I was just very confused because when I was watching this weekend, I saw a game with a female line judge. And I was like, oh, okay, there's that, there's that female referee. And then I watched another game and I was like, did she travel? No, they're they're so, I, so I, I slowly put it together that there is now more than one female referee. NFL's NFL's coming around. They're they're getting there. All right, next topic for the defense, and this kind of go we kind of alluded to this at the top. How much of this performance is on Spags and his game plan versus the performance of the players and their inability to execute the game plan? Yeah, we'll leave it there. Sam, you start us off here. What did you think? Spags or the players? Well, it's a weird one because because based off the history of how we played the Bengals, you would lean you you I would want to lean super heavily towards Spags doesn't know how to call against them, like just hasn't quite figured them out as far as what what the best way to play them is, and that may have been true last year when he just decided not to play anybody fast, and uh, we didn't have anybody fast in several positions, but this year. The thing that the reason I'm going to give him a slight, like I didn't agree with a lot of his calls, like you said, Sean, not switching out of zone, like just simple stuff that just didn't seem to be making sense. But he was at least trying different things. Like it wasn't like he was just stuck. Like it wasn't Bob Sutton out there that got stuck in one thing and never moved away from it. Um, yeah, I'm still not over him. This one really looked like, like you guys alluded to, is just the performance of the defensive players. Like it was just like a half-assed attempt at a game and when you have that combined with maybe not the best defensive game plan it just leads to a terrible terrible watch as far as someone trying to watch defense jacob how about you what what kind of a split do you do you have in terms of who who deserves the most credit for this this just 
bad performance on defense versus Spags and the players. When I was watching and thinking about it, my only comment towards Spagnuolo would just be, you know, how much influence does he have on the roster building side of it? Because that was probably my only higher up complaint. The rest of it was, I don't think Spagnola told them to throw an arm or dive at a guy and hope that somehow that trips them. So I, I personally cannot blame him that much in this one. Like Sam said, I saw different things being thrown out and just zero execution on it. Yeah, I I actually have my split. I went ahead and put a number on. I said seventy five percent players and twenty five percent spags. The only thing that bothered me is that you played zone an awful lot, and they just found holes wherever it was. Now the flip side of that was when they blitzed and played man. Joe Burrow's really good against the blitz. Turns out, so I I don't put it all on him one hundred percent. I do think there's a happy medium to be had there where you could play press man and have safety help over the top. But I don't I don't want to put it all on him because if you play zone and you get a pass rush, how different does it look? And I do think, Jacob, you're right that he is hamstrung by the personnel. Like, Frank Clark isn't getting home. George Karloftis is applying pressure but hasn't gotten home as consistently as you might want from a first-round pick as of yet. You take that back. George Karloftis had another sack this week, correct? He, Joe Burrow did fall down and let Karloftis touch him. Yes. Hey, if it counted for Michael Strahan, it counts for George Karloftis. <laughs> yes, I just said Michael Strahan and George Karloftis in the same sentence. But that's kind of the point because the Bengals double-teamed Chris Jones the entire game. I don't think I saw a moment where there weren't at least two guys on him. And that is an incredible ask of Chris Jones to every single snap of a game, take on a double team and still apply a a legitimate pass rush because nobody else was getting home. And then when you look at, you know, Derek Nottie next to him, whose specialty is supposedly run defense, not really defend the run. We've already talked about the linebackers and the safeties up the middle, just not playing well in coverage or in, in run support. Tackling was bad. I also didn't think this was Legereus Sneed's best game. Like, if I was going to pick Trent McDuffie, I said Trent McDuffie and Joshua Williams were really were good. I I don't know if I can say the same for, for Snead in this game. And I love Snead. Like, that's my guy. But it wasn't his best day. So, I, I think a lot of this is, you know, I am, is the players. I'm frustrated that they played a lot of zone. But if you get a rush and force an errant throw, how, how different does this look? So I, I'd go 75-25. Players take the bulk of it. I do think, Sean, one thing that is reflected in this game is that you need to keep saying no person is that valuable on the mm-hmm. Chiefs team. And I, I do think they did a nice job of that this last offseason to say, hey, no one man makes an entire team outside of your quarterback. I think that I just confirmed for me off-season plans in this one of, hey, nobody is that special that you can't move on from them, deal them. Uh, you, can, you can probably just say, hey, we have four untouchables. The rest, we can make it work without them. Yeah, I think that a lot of this comes back to, I listen to a lot of Dynasty fantasy football podcasts, like probably too many. 
But the one thing that like anytime you do like, you know, on a live stream or on a podcast where somebody asks a question about, should I trade blah, blah, blah. The immediate answer is always, well, what's the deal? Like what's the offer? So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think it just depends on circumstance. What are the contract demands? What's the trade offer, et cetera, et cetera. Speaking of, and Jacob, God bless you for just giving me another great transition here. Off-season plans. Like, let's take an early look at that. And this is the part where I mentioned earlier that we're going to include tackles in this conversation. So it's not exclusively a defensive topic, but a lot of the positions are specific to defense. You're going into an off-season. We have another just boatload of picks. You are hopefully going to have, if the cap does boom the way that everyone expects it to, an incredible amount of cap space, assuming that you don't bring Frank Clark back. It's even more than you might otherwise. However, we've talked about on here, and I'm and we're not the only ones ever, anybody who has a podcast has probably talked about it, and people who have been on the radio for years have talked about it much, much longer, and that's, you don't find top-end edge defenders or tackles outside of the top 15 in the draft, at best. And preferably, you're in the top 10 if you really want to assure you're getting the guy. So how do you address this? Because we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We looked at the edge and the tackle free agency classes they're, they're kind of bare as far as difference makers. Jack Conklin's the only tackle I'd want. He plays right tackle. You know, Yannick Ngakwe is, is a pass rusher on the market this offseason. He's he's a solid pass rusher, but he's, he's not even, I think, to the level that Frank Clark was when you traded for Frank Clark. So how do you go about addressing these, especially now knowing that you're probably, if, if Juan Thornhill didn't pick it up, you're probably not bringing him back. Justin Reed. He's going to be here for another year, but he better play better than he did this past Sunday. And I honestly just don't know how much more Twitter safety I can take, man. So that's just a personal thing for me. You also obviously need help up the middle next to Chris Jones, whether that's pass rush or run defense. You need somebody there to help and take some pressure off of him, as great as he is. So how would you go about prioritizing and, and fixing the problems that they have, or at least filling the positions that they have. I mean, do you trade up? Do you, you know, focus on one position and go trade for an elite player if, if that's an option that's available to you? Because I feel like any decision, I've gone at this a few angles, I feel like any decision I end up coming to leaves the other positions open for just another plug player, which I'm not sure you can live with going forward. So how do you guys feel about this? How would you go about fixing it? Sam, we'll start with you. First and foremost, Jacob, let's say it together. How much do you have to trade away for Orlando Brown? I still think it's in the cards, honestly. I it, what what are the Texans really building towards? They're going to draft a quarterback with the what what will be the top pick? They are lined up for the top pick. I know you would come out and say, hey, that's where you could you want to protect your quarterback. I'd argue you're probably thinking, hey, I want to protect a guy for the next five years, not the next, let's just say two and a half or three for Tunsil. I'm just going to be pessimistic about his timeline. I know he's not like super old or anything, but either way, 
So that I don't think it's out of the cards to agree with Sam. But no, uh, in reality, there should be no conversation of us fixing edge at all. The fix is tackles. There should be no debate. Yes, I get it'd be nice to have an edge rusher. You just spend a first rounder on one. See what happens with him. Because you can't go another year where us everyday guys talk about it and say, you know what? Wiley's a really good piece. He'd be a great backup. And he's our starter. You know, Orlando Brown probably well, going on two years, Sam. Don't forget yeah. to throw that Orlando in. Orlando Brown should be playing right tackle. He's our starting left tackle. Like, there's no reason why a team that is – we can't continue expecting us to be one of the best teams in the NFL and have dog water for tackles. Like, it's just ridiculous. So, you do what you have to do, whether that be – Orlando Brown's gone. I'm not paying him. Like, as I said, I'm, I've washed my hands with this guy because he just – you can't hide him is the problem. Like – you have one of the best offensive guards in the NFL, and that's the only reason he can't – He it, it seems after watching this game without Tooney that he doesn't get beat inside just because you got Tooney in there. That doesn't work. Like, maybe that's not the case. Maybe I'm just – I don't know. But I think you have to go out and either trade up to get a tackle. I don't – again, Sean, you may be already degening and, and looking at this next year's draft class and know all of the tackles, but – I don't know how many are available this year. I don't know what the tackle class looks like, but we've got to do something. You've got to at least sure up one of the two sides somehow because you can't continue having two terrible tackles in the NFL when now you're looking at every team having not just one, but typically two elite pass rushers coming off each side, like one off each side. So I don't want to hear a conversation of, oh, how should we get ends? Because at the end of the day, it's not it hasn't been the greatest, but we've been able to fill gaps and get quality production out of guys we've gotten later rounds with our with our defensive linemen. Because at the end of the day, we have more sacks after what 14 games this year than we did all last year. I'm not as worried about edge as, as other people are. I'm worried about Patrick Mahomes not dying and being able to throw the damn ball. So full disclosure, after that game against the Bengals, I may or may not have gone on PFF's mock draft simulator and run a two-round mock draft just to see who was available at the Chiefs pick. And I don't know any of the names, uh, but there were two edge players and one tackle, so I'm just saying. Felix and DK Uzama, Kansas State. That was one of the edges that's kind of bottom of the first round to the middle of the second round type guy. I, I still stick with what I've been saying. One of them you address with a veteran, I think. One of them you address with the draft. And I think you're going to be giving up some picks for both scenarios, which is fine because you don't need to draft 10 players. I mean, I guess I just don't know. I'm with you guys. I haven't like done a deep dive. I'm almost of the mindset of I'd like to address the I don't even know. I'd like to address them both in the draft, but I know that's not realistic. I think you just have to do one or the other 
depending on what you think you can get out of the veteran trade market versus how much you're going to have to give up to go get, like you guys said, that top 10 type guy. And it might fall, the Trent McDuffie route, where it's like, hey, we didn't think this guy was going to be here at that spot, so that's why we traded up. That is the like dream scenario is, hey, this guy we had as a top five type player fell to 14, and that wasn't – we didn't have to give up near as much capital. So for me, I think I am all on board if you want to trade for an established left tackle who you know can be the guy. But it has to be somebody who can be the guy. And I do feel like your options are going to be limited there just because most teams aren't willing to trade that kind of player. So Tunsil might be it. And if it's not that, then I'm all for moving up into the top 10 of the draft. I don't care if you have to give up two firsts to get up there to find a tackle. And then finding alter- alternative options at edge. You know, like I said, Yannick Ngakwe is out there as an edge defender. If you <laughs> you want to finally cave to the name and go get Jadavion Clowney, he'll be out there. It's just It's just not that many great names that you think can be actual impact players, guys who can be, you know, an 8 to 12, 8 to 10 sack kind of guy. The big thing that I think you could do as far as, like, helping out with pass rush specifically is look to, like, the second round. If there's an interior pass rusher that you like, go get that guy. Because that's where you found Chris Jones. You traded out, of the fir- traded out of the first round, went and got Chris Jones in the second. That worked out pretty well. And even if you extend, if you re-up Chris Jones' contract, he's not going to be here forever. It would be nice to have the guy that you want to replace him here already. So I would look to that as far as, like, helping the pass rush. Because I agree with you, Sam. I think the more and more I think about it, I don't think you can do fix both if we're going to use that term, if we're going to be blatant about it. You can't fix both with top-level talent. You can't. And so if it comes down to it, I want the tackles. Because you're protecting the most important asset in football with Patrick Mahomes. So do that, fix tackle, and then find other ways to fix pass rush. Go find a serviceable guy on the edge and find another guy you think can be a top interior pass rusher in the draft in the middle rounds. Look for that kind of a thing. All right, let's look ahead to what will hopefully be the ultimate palate cleanser. And that is the Chiefs. Versus the Denver Broncos. The Broncos are a team so bad that they were able to get the NFL to flex Patrick Mahomes out of primetime. Again, I said at the top, if the Chiefs win this game and the Chargers lose, then the Chiefs will officially wrap up the AFC West and win the division again. So that's what we're looking at here. Denver is bad. They're really bad offensively. Defensively, they've got some they've got some dudes over there, but we'll see. So I'm gonna use the same format that we did last time and, and do the whole what does what does it look like if the Chiefs win or lose. So we'll start with a loss. Because I think that would be I can't even imagine what that looks like. I'll have to think about it while you guys are answering. So Sam will let you go first. What does it look like if the Chiefs lose to the Broncos? The Broncos somehow managed to score more than 20 points, which they've only done twice this year, and the Chiefs score less than that. <laughs> Best answer I can give because I can't think of any other feasible way it actually happens. 
I, I will. I want to piggyback Sam. Last week I said the magic number I think was 31, which turned out to be very true. I think the magic number, like Sam said this week, might be 21. I know that you're not supposed to underestimate your opponents. Watching the Broncos is tough, and I'm not really going to answer the question in the way Sean asked it. I'm going to answer his question, but not in the, the way he thinks. I think a Broncos loss looks like for the Chiefs afterwards, you can actually talk about, hey, if this team takes an early exit in the playoffs, which is first or second round with the expectations you have, you could seriously see some heads rolling. So that's not what Sean's asking of like, Sean's asking how do the Broncos win this game? Not what happens if the Chiefs lose this game, but that's how I want to answer it instead. Since I gave my actual answer first of the magic number is probably 21. The team doesn't show up. They don't make the bus. I don't know. Uh, Maybe they just completely are devastated from the Bengals game, although they sure didn't play like they cared that much about it. So maybe this is just a get-right game. Sean, if only the players played as much as the fans care. At least in this game. Most of the time I don't have – that kind of feeling. But this game was just like on the defensive side. It was like, good lord, what are we doing? So yeah, I think it has to be something drastic, like something that we just don't see coming. Like Russ Wilson turns into Super Bowl Russ Wilson. Like that's that's what has to happen. I don't think Which it's one? The one that threw the interception on the goal line. <laughs> that was my question too. I was like, are you talking about the Russell Wilson that threw the interception on the goal line when he could have handed it to Marshawn Lynch? Because uh, that's the Super Bowl Russell Wilson that everybody remembers. Yes. Right. What did Russell Wilson do in his actual Super Bowl win? Anybody want to tell me that? Because I don't remember, but I do remember Pretty when he had, he had the Legion of Boom. <laughs> and nobody, you didn't need anything else. One of the best defenses in NFL history. Jay, you might have tipped your hand a bit, but like, what does a Chiefs win look like? Like you said, 21 points. Is that it? Just get to 21 and call it a day? I'll say this again. It's a sports are frustrating because we let other men decide our moods for the rest of the week at this point, which is what a blessing that is to your life is dictated mood by did my favorite football team win or not? Because if so, I'm going to be kind of pissed all week. So again, let's, let's start there, but. I think a Chiefs win looks like what we all hope as fans they come out doing of. I've told fans locally is like, I think one of the worst things that could have happened for Broncos fans is the Chiefs losing the Bengals game in the way they did. Because I would think they'd come out pretty pissed off and be like, we're going to hang 40 this week because we need to get some things out of our system. On the flip side, I watched the Chiefs play the Colts this year. Not inspiring. Sam, what about you? What does a win look like for the Chiefs? Is it just a matter of getting 21, or do you think other things have to happen? They do have to score more points than the Broncos. That is the first key to to winning a football game. Sorry to go. Uh, and in order to do that, again, Broncos do have a good defense. I'm not going to say they, their defense is, seems to be the one bright spot of, of a garbage team. I don't even say a garbage team, Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett are dumpster fire. And I think the rest of the Broncos are suffering mightily because of that. 
Uh, let me let me ask you a quick <laughs> question, Sam. You mentioned the man, so I want to ask now. How unfortunate is it for the guy that Hack is in his last name? Oh, yeah, no, it's like you couldn't have asked for a worse title that Nathaniel can't hack it. It's just, it's bad. Yeah, I called it in the preseason, and the, the name in his last name is 100% describes him because the yeah. guy's a hack of, oh, I got it handled. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It's like, Dude, this is the NFL. Everyone has like, to have some humility of this is tough to win. He just like, I got it. Like he tried to bring Dan Campbell energy and failed miserably. Like he didn't talk about biting anybody's kneecaps. He's not built like Dan Campbell, and that's a good first <laughs> distinction between the two guys. He did give us. The, I, I did. He gave us the term tugalicious, though, guys. Tugalicious. Come on, yo. Tugalicious and Bronco Country. Oh. That's right. <laughs> I was just about to say it. It's uh, like the Royals going, it's our time and losing 104 games that year. Yeah. <laughs> but only if after every interview, the Eric Hosmer said, our time. <laughs> Even after a seven-run loss where he struck out three times, it, it, we got to be better next time. It's our time, Royals fans. Sam, go ahead. I'm in sorry. Order, in order to beat the Broncos, we have to play football. And do what you're supposed to do as a million-dollar football player. Sam, if that was your impression of Romeo Cornell, it wasn't the worst, but it was. I didn't decent. put a lot of effort into it. It's late at night, you know. I, <laughs> you got you're uh, gonna want to play good football. Good football leads to good things. You don't want to play bad football. The sad thing is about this: if if our defensive performance, that the effort our defense put in against the Bengals, where we're talking about they didn't show up, they look like crap, look like they didn't care. They show up against the Broncos. Broncos might not score a point. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's be honest. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I Knock on wood, I'm not coming across too, like, too bullish on this game, but it's just like, yeah, they're bad. I do think it's a matter of, like, if you just come out and play a sound football game, you should win. Like, it should be that simple. I just hope that they like don't come out and lay an egg. Like I've been, I don't, I don't know what it's like in an NFL locker room, but I imagine that you still have some human emotions of being really frustrated and disappointed with yourself, and it's just a matter of what do you do with that. So if you come out and just play your game, you should beat the tar out of them. But Sean, I've got your answer about the NFL locker room thing. Some guys just get on Twitter and argue with fans. Mm, what that's, a- how, that's how some do it. What a fantastic use of your energy and time. All right, let's go ahead and get final scores and what we are now calling terrible predictions uh, per Sam from last week. So I went ahead and switched it on the rundown because good Jesus Christ, guys. Uh, so this is what we predicted last week. Jacob, you had the Chiefs winning 38-28. And that Chris Jones would get two and a half sacks and a roughing the passer penalty. <laughs> he didn't get close enough to have the penalty. It wasn't even close. Hey, I at least nailed it that there was a roughing the passer penalty. You did get the penalty, just the wrong player. So props to that. That's better than the rest of us. Although, if there hadn't been such a split, I think Sam might have been right about his. Uh, Sam predicted 35-30 Chiefs, and that Isaiah Pacheco would get 100 yards and a rushing touchdown. So he got the touchdown. Got one. You got half of it. Um, and I honestly, if Jarrett McKinnon hadn't been as effective as he was running the ball, they might have given more opportunities to Pacheco. So 
I think you were probably technically the closest. And I, I and my dumbass predicted the Chiefs 35-31 and that Jamar Chase, the Jamar Chase, would have fewer than 70 yards receiving. I think he ended up with three shy of 100. You know, we nailed it. So what are we going to get wrong this time, guys? What, what are your final scores and terrible predictions? Jacob, we'll start with you. 41-13. I'm going big. I'm being bold this week. I mean, that's a bold prediction. And the Chiefs forced three turnovers, which is also bold because they really suck at that this year. You'd have to force that many turnovers to get to 41, probably. I'm not complaining. Uh, Sam, what about you? Final score and terrible prediction. 38 to 17. And Travis Kelsey is very upset with himself about that fumble. He goes off for 150 plus and two touchdowns. I, I take back my terrible prediction about three forced turnovers. I can keep that one. But also, I want to throw in there that one of the Chiefs players has a make fun of Russell Wilson specific celebration. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Since that seems to be the thing that whoever's, whoever's mic'd up. Oh my God, that'd be great. I'm going to say it's 35 to 10. I think the defense is going to come out and have some fury. At least I hope so. And I think that I'll say Carl Loftus gets two sacks in this one. I think he gets I think he gets Russell twice. Alright everybody, that'll do it for us tonight. We appreciate you joining us each and every week. It's not always a fun time watching the games when they lose, but it's always fun to talk Chiefs and we are still lucky to have Holmes, Kelsey, Reed, the whole gang together because they are they always keep it close at least, guys, and remember the days when that wasn't the case. So let's not take it for granted. Let's get rallied for this game against the Broncos because it could lead to another AFC West title. Until then, you all stay safe out there, and we will talk to you next week.